Network interface enabled. Hold, hold. podcast for the week of October 15, 2012. We are a member of the Network Interface Podcast Network. I'm your co-host Carlos. With me is your co-host BJ. I got no joke topic today. I want to say happy October. It is my favorite month of the year. We got my anniversary. We got uh, Halloween. We got cooler weather in Texas. It's awesome. I didn't know your anniversary is in October also. Yeah, our we got married on Halloween. We had a costume wedding uh, here in Austin, actually, nine years ago this Halloween. That is pretty cool. Um, yeah. We, uh, uh, My wife and I were October 11th. Um, yeah. And you were there for our wedding, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think all, all around October is a pretty awesome month for everyone. Yep. I, I know uh, my wife really enjoys the Halloween because she didn't have that growing up in Australia. Mm-hmm. And so she really gets a kick out of all the kids coming around. And, and already my house is decorated with Halloween stuff on the windows and what have you. Yeah, we're not going as crazy this this uh, year as we usually do. Holly usually does this awesome Halloween setup. I'll put up pictures one of these days. But, like, we've had a giant octopus glow-in-the-dark thing. And we've had, like, uh, crazy hotel stuff. And we've had, uh, you know, video game graveyard with murlocs and glow-in-the-dark. You know, she goes all out. This We're, we're doing it a lot more low-key this uh, this year. One thing is it's on a Wednesday, and we work since we work late. Uh, definitely, probably, Holly's not really not going to be around. I might take off to, you know, hand out candy. But, yeah, so this year is going to be a little bit more low-key than normal, but uh, often we try to make a pretty big deal of it. Well, you know, it's just how it goes sometimes. Sometimes they're the big years. Sometimes they're the little years. So. <laughs> That's right. Next year will be big because it's our 10th anniversary next year. So Sweet. Yeah. Uh, so, how? yeah, I've got a bunch of news to talk about. Uh, you ready to move on into that? Yeah, let's uh, let's hit the geek news. It's been a couple uh, couple weeks, so I'm sure there's a lot of stuff for us to cover. There, there probably is. Um, I have not seen the season premiere of The Walking Dead yet, but uh, it broke basic cable records with 10.5 million viewers and a completely crashed Dish Network streaming stuff. Uh, did you get a chance to check it out? I, I I thought it didn't crash Dish Network. I thought that they were surprised it did the numbers because they're in a um, uh, negotiation war with Dish Network. No, it it crashed. It cra- well, they were streaming it. They weren't showing it on the thing, but they were streaming it online. Oh, okay. And, and it crashed their servers. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean, it it did record numbers. Um, in you know, despite the fact that it was up against some you know uh, some you know tough competition, right? We had football going on at the same time. Um, and and uh, AMC is in these contract negotiation wars with Dish Network. So yeah, you could stream it, but you couldn't. You know, you'd have right. to you have to like pay for that or something. I think, or you know, that you couldn't just like do the casual uh, watching off of it and stuff. So these numbers are truly impressive considering what they're kind of up against. Yep. Yeah, that's what everyone was saying. You got completely broke basic cable records. You know, not including HBO and stuff like that. Yeah. So the numbers were super super impressive, and I think they were the best for The Walking Dead even which is very interesting. That's the third season. Can someone explain to me why they stole money from Walking Dead to give to Mad Men, even though, like, Walking Dead makes a ton more money than Mad Men? I don't, I don't understand it sometimes. I, uh, I think, I think you explained it before. It's, it's, it's oh. artistic integrity, right? Well, isn't that what you said? Oh, kinda, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was cool. I was, I was happy to, uh, happy to see that, so that the, the zombie stuff is still going pretty strong. So excellent. Um, I have an old, in old news, as you, as you know, I don't 
get to watch a ton of television because I'm really busy in my free time. I usually play video games and what little free time I have. But I saw that there was a title of one a Supernatural episode called The Girl with the Dungeons and Dragons Tattoo. So now I have to go back, and just because of the title, I'm going to have to go back and watch uh, seven seasons of Supernatural. So so thanks for that. Oh, holy – because now that you mentioned that, now I have to go watch seven seasons of Supernatural. I know, and apparently the, the girl in question is actually played by Felicia Day. So I'm going to – Oh, son of a bitch. I know. So I'm going to have to watch that. Luckily, it is on Netflix, and it's, it's a show that I think I can uh, – I'll, I, I, it's one of the shows that I can watch while I'm cleaning up my computer room, and I can have it on in the background and pay attention. So I, I, I plan to, but it's going to be slow going. But I thought that was hilarious. I, I did watch like the first like two or three seasons. I really liked it in that it was you know they kind of had this goofy were demon hunters. It kind of felt a lot like um, Hunter the Reckoning from the White Wolf uh, you know series that you know they're up against odds that they can't possibly you know. Right, but it got way, way serious in like season three or four or something. And that's what I. That's what I heard. I kind of put me off. I kind of like the more lighthearted, you know, you know, kind of Buffy-ish, you know. But yeah, when they got like super serious, that's when I dropped off. Yeah, and and I, I guess they have occasionally have some episodes that are are more serious than others. So yeah, yeah I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I I actually I saw a few episodes in the past of the first season. I thought it was interesting, but you know it was a television series and can't watch those right now. So um, I did, however, uh, we we recorded Arrow and I got a chance to see Arrow. Uh, did you did you get a chance to see that? No, I I watched a bunch of the previews and trailers and I kind of I like where they're taking it. It's definitely Smallville-ish, right? You know, the the same look and feel. Yeah, I have to say that I am cautiously optimistic now because, you know, Green Arrow has never been... Uh, actually, I shouldn't say never. He's been an interesting comic character sometimes, but not not always. And uh, but uh, I was really impressed with this with this premiere episode. Uh, he was actually a very interesting and deadly character, uh, which was very cool. And there's lots of hints. You know, if you're a, a comics fan, there's lots of Easter eggs for you, and probably hints of things to come. I don't know if you want me to spoil those or not. Uh, but, you know, by, given by people's names and stuff like that, you can see things that are going to be shaping up soon. They're progressing just with one episode. You can kind of see would, where things are progressing. And, well, and would, would, would you mind if I gave you some examples? Go for it. We'll, we'll put spoiler tags right here. So if you don't want to know what's going on in air, stop listening right now. So go ahead and, and, and tell me what's going on. So at the very so uh, I think we mentioned this last time, but this is going back to the Green Arrow roots where he's been stranded on an island, mm-hmm. and so it starts out as as he's on that island and, and he gets rescued uh, when he sees a ship out there. But one of the things you see on the island is this is something sticking out with a mask on it, and the mask is half orange, half black, and there's no eye on it on the black side. Oh, holy crap! Yep. Which, of course, is if you're a comics fan, you know Deathstroke the Terminator. Yep. So you, yep. you see that. And it's never mentioned and hasn't been touched on, but you see that there in the front. His girlfriend, who died on uh, – who uh, presumably died on the boat uh, where, 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 where he got shipwrecked, um, her last name was Lance. And her sis, his he and he was he used to date he was dating her and he used to date her sister so you know there was a bad breakup there, the and he comes back and, and you know basically apologizes to the sister Laurel Lance who is the main female lead in the show, um, and Laurel Lance it turns out that her actual first name which you find out at the end of the episode her name is Dinah, so if you know Dinah Lance is in the comics is the Black Canary. Yep. And yep. there's there's been uh, some shots of the Black Canary coming out in the in the Arrow show in in one of her, in her one of her more traditional outfits. So that's neat. And his best friend, Ollie's best friend, is Tommy, 
And again, at the end of the episode, you find out his name is Tommy Merlin. And if you again know the Green Arrow uh, storyline, Merlin is one of his his arch nemesis, uh, nemesis, I guess. Uh, and so is is a bad guy. So Ollie's best friend Tommy, uh, who knows what's going to happen with him? And he has a history with Laurel as well since since Ollie died. So there's definitely they're setting up some uh, tension there, and we'll see how the, this plays out. But no, I was really impressed with it. I really liked it quite a bit. Isn't that kind of stealing from Smallville though, where they had Clark and and Lex's friends during you know of, of the first portion of the series and stuff? Maybe. I didn't actually watch very much of Smallville. I saw the occasional episode that my dad said, I say, you should go watch this, but I I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, but it, it's going to be interesting. I had a very on-again, off-again love uh, relationship, love-hate relationship with Smallville. I think that they did some really cool stuff. You know, they had the uh, Justice Society of America in there, you know, Hawkman and Stargirl. Yes, I heard that. They had, you know, Fate, Dr. Fate, and... Mm-hmm. You know, they brought in Aquaman. They brought in Green Arrow, which I kind of was shocked that they didn't use the guy who played Green Arrow in that series um, to play, you know, Arrow in this series, but whatever. And they got brought in Cyborg. You know, they, they did some really cool stuff. Then they went some weird areas, like season, I think, three or four had, like, the Chinese um, goddesses and gods and stuff. And Really? Lana, yeah, Lana got possessed by, like, some ancient Chinese god that wasn't, like, it, it was an odd, you know, diversion from the storyline and of course you know for the first like four seasons they were dealing with the kryptonite you know freak of the week whatever right and, and it got so rote within the series that they actually started making fun of it you know at something like season six or seven you know one of them makes a joke it's like man it seems like every week we had a different kryptonite freak we'd have to fight <laughs> right um Excellent. and then i'll I, I can but as much as i love the series i can never forgive it for never giving us the proper shot of tom welling in a Superman suit. Yeah, and apparently that was a contractual thing. Was it? Yeah, that's what I, I had read, that that was something that uh, it was in the, the agreement with DC that they would not show him in a Superman suit. And it, I guess it wasn't until the last episode that you actually saw anything like that at the very end. But you didn't even you, you didn't get to see it. All you got to see was, like, a cape flapping or maybe some red boots. And yep. the, the only, like, even quasi replication of that was him doing the classic Christopher Reeves, you know, open up the shirt to the S and and, and that's it. And I really just wanted to see him in the Superman suit. So now that you say that, that makes more sense. But uh, again, what's the logic behind that? Why it it seems like something you can ask for. (laughs) I know. Why would DC say, Oh, you're going to make a Superman series and it's going to last for nine seasons and make us lots of money. Hey, awesome. Um, but you can't have him in the suit. Right. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. I agree. Yeah. Um, let's see. Other stuff. I, I don't know if you watched the DC Nation cartoons on Cartoon Network. Uh, something really weird happened this, this past week. They were expecting the DC Nation season to resume on Friday. And a bunch of new shorts were coming out, too. Some that looked really interesting. Uh, uh, and um, suddenly Cartoon Network tweeted, Hey, good news. DC Nation will be coming back in January 2013. And people were like, what? Including the show Creators who were all expecting it to come out that day, this this last weekend. So something very weird and inexplicable is happening between Cartoon Network and DC Nation. There's all kinds of weird theories about licensing and stuff that are floating around the Internet, but, uh, yeah, no one knows what happened. Again, weird logic happening at the corporate level that we'll never understand. Exactly. Um, there's going to be a Brown Coats reunion special on November 11th starring Nathan Fillion, Summer Glau, and Joss Whedon on the Science Channel. Times are going to be different from place to place, but definitely want to check that out. 
But the other news is, did you hear who's coming to S.H.I.E.L.D.? Joss Whedon's new show. I did. Yeah, go ahead. So we got Agent Coulson's returning. That's right. And I just want to address, I've already heard a lot of people kind of knee-jerk reaction and go, well, if he returns, that takes away his sacrifices, uh, the importance of his sacrifice. It cheapens the importance of his sacrifice in the movie. And I understand that reaction. I really, really do. I completely understand that reaction. But I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to say it right now. I, I understand it. I don't care, though. When I heard that they were going to do that, um, that S.H.I.E.L.D. series, and they showed that what was it, an Item 47 special on the Avengers, where you kind of get a preview of what the S.H.I.E.L.D. series is going to look like. Mm-hmm. It's a little, I don't know, five, ten minute short, you know, that shows you kind of the, the, the feel that they're going for, which is freaking awesome. It's it's like X-Files, but humorous to a degree, right? And so when I saw that, I was like, you know what, this looks awesome, but it's missing something. It's missing a little spice to it. It's missing a little appeal. And I knew instantly, I was like, it's missing Agent Coulson. You need to have Agent Coulson like leading this. He's just the face of the Shield Agency. That yeah, yeah I'm thrilled by this. And I have no idea if uh, it was his popularity and the whole Coulson lives thing that brought him back, or if this was planned all along. But no, I think this is great. Also, I completely agree. And I don't really think it takes away his sacrifice. I mean, the guy still got stabbed and almost died, presumably. And it also makes Nick Fury look a lot more manipulative, which I'm also good with. So. And, and if you are familiar with Marvel Comics, Nick Fury is incredibly manipulative. All yeah. you got to do is read The Secret Wars, and everyone hated Nick Fury for like years after that because yep. he manipulated several you know, Marvel heroes into fighting a war that they weren't aware of. They didn't know what they were doing. It was something that he concocted himself. So I completely agree with you. It's, in, it's within canon. It's within the realm of the character, but I don't think that – general audience members are going to understand that. I think a lot of them will still kind of have this knee-jerk reaction. But like I said, don't care. Right, exactly. Um, Along the superhero news, uh, going back to comic, unless you have any other television stuff. Uh, Television stuff, uh, let's see. Comic Book Men premiered along with The Walking Dead, so I watched the first episode of Comic Book Men. uh, I heard it was shorter. Yeah, so they changed the formatting. The original season one was hour-long episodes. They switched it to half-hour episodes to be sort of more like Pawn Stars. You know, Pawn Stars are, you know, that's those are only half-hour episodes, and, you know, they, they're they short and sweet, and they kind of, you know, have, like, a little theme going throughout each one, right? So as they're, as they're you know, in, in Pawn Stars, as they're trading back and forth, you know, these, these an- antiques and stuff like that, then there's, like, this overall theme going on throughout the episode, like, oh, uh, uh, if you're right about the price of that clock, we'll, uh, we'll race or something like that. So... They're kind of okay. <laughs> well, or or they're gonna buy an antique gun, so all of them are gonna shoot to see who can shoot it the most accurately, and whoever wins, like you know, gets free lunch or whatever. There's there's a reason Pawn Star is popular, right? You know, it's one of the most popular uh, reality shows on cable. Uh, so they're kind of taking that format with it. So this one, they had a uh, a chick on there who was very very oddly um, familiar with the. Uh, not the Justice League, but the the, the futuristic um, Justice Society or something, where the one where Superman has to tra- you know gets time travel to the future. To the, Le- the Legion of Superheroes. Legion of Superheroes. Uh, the Legion. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I was thinking mm-hmm. of. Right? And so she's coming in to buy some figurines from the Legion, and she knows everything about the Legion. And it was, I mean, I I, I consider myself to be somewhat geeky and understand this stuff, but put me to shame. So as I'm watching this, you know, and, and my wife's watching it with me, she's like, you know, oh, what's she talking about there? It's like, I have no idea. <laughs> I am in the dark. So I think the half-hour episode 
format works really well for them. Yeah, that's super impressive because the Legion is one of the most confusing series ever because they keep on retconning every time. I mean, not just every time there's a DC reboot, but every time they want to change something, they can just go to the past and change something. Oh, so it's, every, every I mean, Infinite Crisis like changes everything too. Yeah, but and and but they, I'm saying since they're in the future, they get changed even yeah. more. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's yeah, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yep. Um, along those comics lines. Oh, how was the show? Yeah. The show is good. I, I think uh, I think they're doing well. I find it immensely entertaining. I don't think uh, my wife likes it as much as I do, but I'll have to watch it one of these days. Tell them to come to Netflix. Go ahead and arrange that, and I'll take it out. They're on Netflix. Oh, are they? I have never seen them pop up in my Netflix thing. Okay, season, will, one, I, season one's on Netflix. I will look. Cool. Uh, so in comics, I like I said, I stopped really reading Avengers versus X Men, but I've kind of been following it. We've had another major Marvel death now. Have you heard? I have not heard. Who was it this time? Okay, here's the big spoiler, people. If you haven't read last month's comics or this, uh, Professor Charles Xavier. Again? Again. He's dead <laughs> again. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of my reaction. I'm like, oh, Professor X is dead. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, so the event, well, it's hard to say the Avengers won, but eventually, uh, all the Phoenix powers went to Cyclops. It was corrupting all of them, and then, uh, Eventually, they he gave up the Phoenix power or was tricked into giving up the Phoenix power. It's kind of hard to say, and uh, and now he's the only X Men under in custody right now. The rest of them has have escaped. There's going to be a new X title. Uh, Uncanny X Men is returning as a title, um, and somehow, and this is part of um, Captain America's not apology, but acknowledgement that he is also somewhat responsible, or at least he didn't do enough to help the mutants when uh, when these things occurred. Also, it seems like the House of M storyline, which had depowered all the mutants, has been reversed. <laughs> so I think that was what the Phoenix ended up doing, is basically returning mutants to the planet again. That That's my impression. I'm going to need to double-check that, that I read that correctly. But yeah, so we have mutants again. I wonder what the logic there was for that. I mean, it, uh, it, so it's, I understand why they did it because at a certain point, you know, they created so many of these mutant characters that it seemed like the world was full of more mutants than normal humans. Mm-hmm. So they kind of wanted to make the whole mutant thing special again. So, you know, House of M depowered a whole bunch of them. So now, what was it, 172? Yeah, I forget the exact number, but yeah. Yeah, so, and I thought that was kind of cool, but yeah, yeah. So eventually, Hope, the person who was going to be the the Phoenix, the girl from the future, um, she extinguished Phoenix, and basically that restored the mutant population. So yeah, so there's going to be a new Avengers and a new X Men. Awesome. Did I tell you that I've been reading the Batman Incorporated? No. How is that going? I don't like it. Hey, it's it's taking Batman in a direction that I really don't enjoy, and. <laughs> I'm I'm classic Batman. I want Batman to be a detective. I want him to solve these big, you know, like one of my favorite was Hush, where yeah. you know someone is kind of terrorizing Batman as this big complicated mystery that unfolds and there's multiple layers, right? And if you've never read Hush, I highly suggest it. Um, and and so I like stuff like that, you know, and and this isn't. That, you know, you know who the enemy is going after him. You know, he's, he's going after Leviathan, and he's like, oh, got to raise an army. So I'm going to make 
different Batmans all over the world. I'm going to Arizona Batman, and I'm going to Japan Batman, and you know Spain Batman, and all that good stuff. And I don't know. It 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 was my same problem that I had with the Batman: The Dark Knight Rises movie in that it was too big. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I Batman's. To me, Batman's not really, you know, that that world savior guy. He is like, you know what? I'm not a Superman. I don't have the powers to to fly around the world, so I'm going to claim a little corner of it, a.k.a. Gotham. Mm -hmm. This is my realm. This is what I protect, and this is what I do, right? And so, I don't know. It's it's, the scope scope creep was what really kind of threw it off for me. I heard, and I don't know, was this, were they involved? I know Batman is doing a couple of uh, multi-issue series. So there was the Owl, Night of the Owl or something related in the recent issues. And then there's going to be the Return of the Joker coming up as yeah, well. I, I read the Night of the Owl series about, you know, the ancient Owl Society. Um, and they, you know, try to make it look like, you know, the Owl Society may be killed off. You know, his has been responsible for killing off Waynes for a while. That was kind of interesting. That was pre-Batman Incorporated. Um and and so I, I kind of like that because the the artwork was really what good for it, and also I, I like the um, the mystery involved with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other problem I have with Batman Incorporated is that you know Bruce Wayne comes out and says, "Oh, I'm supporting Batman. I pay for all this stuff," and yet you know they somehow are able to still hide the fact that Bruce Wayne's Batman, even though right. he publicly says like, "Oh yeah, I give him all the money to do all the cool stuff." Right. Right. Yeah. So. You know, yeah, I thought that was strange, and that that was before Flashpoint. I actually thought that was going to be something that they retconned, but no, they kept it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, 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 it, it's impo- it's you need some kind of like reader companion post fifty two to understand what the hell is going on in some of this stuff. I, yeah. I can't tell you how many fans that I know who are just confused at this point. Yeah, I mean, understandably. So, and, and they're still confused. It's been out for a while now, and we're still trying to put the pieces together. It, yep, it's been out for a year, a year, yeah, now about now. Um, so speaking of, you know that they're doing the number zero issues this month, or the, yeah, the, I guess the last couple months. Uh, Justice League Dark is one of the series that I'm keeping up with. Uh, one, because it's magic themed, and I've always had kind of a soft spot for the magic theme stuff in these mainstream comics. And it also brought a lot of the Vertigo characters from DC's mature title into the mainstream DC universe, or at least versions of them into the into the, like they're still separate worlds basically, but now there's versions of them in this kind of more uh, mainstream, mainstream place. So this Justice League Dark was pretty much all about Constantine's, Constantine's background. Um, and you know, how I showed you how in the past he, uh, hooked up with Zatanna and her then boyfriend and they had this kind of love triangle and he kind of learned magic from them. And that was interesting. Actually, it's one, I think it's been one of the better of the Justice League Dark, uh, issues. And it kind of plays into what's been going on in the modern, you know, day storyline. So that was pretty good. The other one that I picked up was a number zero that I didn't mind because it was a number zero for a brand new series, Sword of Sorcery. Or I should say it's a reboot of like a 70s series. Um, and there were two titles in that, Sword of Sorcery. One of them was Amethyst and one of them was Beowulf. And both of them were surprisingly good. I think this is this was been my favorite of, of the, the new stuff that's come out. Amethyst is a reboot of that. 80s cult classic magical girl kind of show uh, comic that I mentioned that I've mentioned in the past, and this was a re-envisioning for a slightly older audience. Had the same kind of premise where basically she was that she's this girl, uh, kind of a loner. She's kind of a gothy gothy girl, and in high school, and but her mom makes her train like Slayer style, basically 
all the time, and she doesn't really know why, and it really annoys her, uh, but she does. And in this particular issue, she finds out why, and that is because uh, she actually is the heir to this magic kingdom uh, that's been taken over by, you don't exactly know, but by her evil aunt is what it seems like so far. And it was it was really good. Uh, I definitely would recommend checking that out. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty strong series. Uh, the author's done a really great job with this. The other one was a surprise to me, and it was Beowulf. And it was a retelling of Beowulf, but in a uh, Gamma World type setting, right? It's a post-apocalyptic uh, uh, story, which I thought was very interesting. And Beowulf is actually this kind of genetically engineered soldier who was left in, it looks like some kind of um, suspended animation type thing. And he's awoken by uh, some people who are having problems with a monster back at their home. And it, it actually was very, a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. So I would definitely check out Sword of Sorcery number zero. I think the Amethyst and Beowulf were, were really great. Sounds like some great stuff coming out. Yep. Of course, you know, one of the best-selling comics in November, right, for November right now, it is outsold Uncanny X-Men, the new Uncanny X-Men, uh, actually even in pre-orders. What's that? My Little Pony number one. No <laughs> kidding. No <laughs> kidding. It is outsold just about everything, even the new X-Men series, which is, which was pretty shocking. So yeah. Uh, movie news. I hadn't, so I, I saw some very interesting movie things coming out. I hadn't realized the Evil Dead reboot was so far along. Oh yeah, yeah, it's been going pretty well for a while now. Yeah, so they uh, they put up a trailer on Daily Motion, which got taken down pretty quickly, unfortunately. So I actually haven't found it, I haven't seen it, but there is there are and but there are pictures of it, and there are stills that were released at Comic Con. So we have uh, we have our first like series video and pictures of stuff coming out. It looks pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, uh, Robert, uh, Robert, is it Paffert? I forget his last name. The original producer, all involved. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do with this. It is kind of funny because for the longest time, Sam Raimi said, never going to happen, never going to happen, never going to happen. We're not going to do another one. We're not going to remake it. And so that's when a independent Evil Dead production right. started up, right? And so they actually had to go to court because we've had, you know, we started having two Evil Dead movies being made. One more of an official capacity, another one in an unofficial capacity. Sam Raimi and crew took the other group to court saying, you know, you can't make this movie. We're making it. And they cited all of the Sam Raimi interviews where he said he's never going to make the movie again as being precedents for, you know, the property had been dropped or something. Yeah, and but that, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of, of copyright law, what they what they what the other company did. I mean, they asked them to not make it first before they went to court, but they said they were going to anyway. That's when they went to court. But that group that was remaking it, you can't – you don't lose copyright by abandoning it. That, that's one of the – that's one of the differences between copyright and trademark law. So you can technically lose a trademark by, by abandoning the trademark, and there are certain things that you can do to determine whether or not a trademark has been abandoned, but not copyright. And I actually read the legal briefs for that case because uh, it was interesting, and the, the company that was remaking it got – I either got really terrible legal advice or did not get legal advice, which is what I suspect actually happened. They, they went to the attorney of you know Wikipedia – and uh, I looked up the Wikipedia entry, and they completely misunderstood that. Yep, yep, yep. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we call a setup. 
in order to allow Carlos to flex those copyright <laughs> muscles he has. And that, was compl- that was completely unintentional. <laughs> I, well, it was intended on my part because I, oh, I, I knew it was going to inspire uh, <laughs> a minor copy uh, copyright rant from you. So yeah. and I was like, let's go ahead and set that up. I'm still waiting for you to set me up for an exchange PowerShell rant. but you know. oh, That's going to be a little bit harder, but I'll, <laughs> I I'll, it'll come up one of these days. It'll happen. Oh, we're going to lose, you know, we already have a small <laughs> enough audience. We're going to lose, you know, another 40 people if I start going off on, on Exchange PowerShell. So we'll, we'll, we'll back burner that for another episode. <laughs> okay. The other trailer I saw, which I didn't even know they were remaking this again, or maybe I did and I just forgot, which is more likely, Carrie. Yep. The, uh, they just released the poster for it. It looks all sorts of creepy. Yeah, and the very first trailer, you can see it at whathappentocarrie.com. Uh, looks like it's starring Chloe Moretz, which I did not know either. So we'll see. There's been two movie versions of Carrie so far. Uh, the actual, the, the theatrical release, uh, which is the one starring Sissy Spacek. And then there was a kind of movie version of Carrie, uh, sorry, television movie version of Carrie, which was apparently they were thinking about making into a TV show, but that obviously never happened. So this is going to be the third, uh, movie version and which, you know, could be interesting. I don't know. Is, is there a lot of fruit to be had from that trip? That is my that is my question. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know if this is just a redone remake to like like with Psycho, which was I don't think a particularly successful remake. You know, it's just to remake it and, and to show a new generation the movie. You can still go back and watch the original, right? So I don't I don't know honestly. Well, the problem with the Psycho remake is that they weren't trying to be original. Like they said, you know, they did frame for frame an exact copy of the original. And why? Why would you do that? Why? Don't know. <laughs> you know, it was the problem I had with uh, Superman Returns. Beyond you know the fact that he was creepy, they were just trying to kind of remake the you know the original one. You know, and they got a guy who looked like Christopher Reeves, and the the, the feel was the same, and the the costumes and all that good stuff, and. Uh, why? Why wouldn't you try and make it something modern and something updated for the audiences so they can connect easier? So, I mean, like, J.K. Rowling announced fairly recently that she was interested in going back to the Harry Potter world. Not doing another Harry Potter book, but doing a new story set in that same world. That I approve of, right? Because that's a rich, robust world, plenty of stories to be told there that don't have to involve Harry Potter, and I would read something like that, right? Mm -hmm. This, however... Uh, this is we're we're you know sapping the same tree right yep so yeah so we'll see yeah again i i I think i agree if it's just going to be a a you know a non-original remake eh, i can go watch the original right it's it was decent movie uh we'll see we'll see what happens with this one um movie stuff i did see the possession which is one of the ones i mentioned last time which was the uh exorcism but from a a jewish kind of standpoint with a dibuk basically possessing the the main girl Mm -hmm. it was an okay movie it was very subdued um it was a little slow uh it wasn't a terrific movie it was all right i mean it's something that i would definitely watch like on netflix or something like that going out to the movies probably not necessary um but it, it had it had a couple of of uh creepy moments uh but nothing nothing super spectacular yeah, I don't want to get back into that rant that I had last time, right. but you know, standard you know of standard fare applies here. Uh, anything that's not the original is you know The Exorcist. That that's the the ultimate. And I uh, the other one I saw. Did you see Looper? No, we had a choice this weekend between Hotel Transylvania, uh, which we went and saw, and and I will say that Hotel Transylvania 
is where I got the idea for that campaign I told you about, and we'll talk. Oh, about, yeah. We'll talk about that briefly uh, here because um, I, I want the audience if they've got some ideas, I, I'd like to get some ideas to help me out. But um, it was, you know, it's a it's a definitely a kids movie, you know, about this uh, hotel for monsters to get away from humans, and some kind of beatnik, you know, kid, you know, finds its way his way there, and you know, Dracula freaks out. Um, it's a fun movie. We we enjoyed it. It was a lot cool. of fun. But it was between that and Looper. I don't think uh, Beck wanted to go see Looper. It's it's you know a bit cerebral to have to deal with for a date night. So, so yeah, um, I, I've been interested in people's reactions to Looper. So a bunch of my staff went to go see it. Um, a couple went uh, the weekend it came out. Uh, my student staff and they loved it. They thought it was terrific, and they came back and, and told me I have to see it. It was it was great. It was awesome. Um, and then Scott, our, our friend Scott, who was on the podcast before, he was disappointed in it because uh, he said it wasn't what he expected. So I went in, you know, not entirely certain what to expect. I thought it was good. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Um, my one disappointment is that I thought it was kind of predictable for a time travel movie in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't know if that's if that's me or whatever, but I, you know, I knew how this was going to end pretty quickly. So, but it was fun. It had some really fun moments, you know. Uh, one one uh, kind of creepyish moment towards the beginning of the movie that scarred one of my student workers forever, uh, which we'll, we can mention after you get to see the movie. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it, it was a fun movie. I, I would say definitely see it when you get a chance. I heard it left a pretty big paradox at the end or something. Lots of paradoxes. It's it's yeah. I mean, but nothing. Yeah, it kind of depends on. It's time travel. <laughs> time travel's hard to do in films. I mean, if Jean Claude couldn't figure it out in Time Cop, I don't think anyone will. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't do that. Actually, the movie, the time travel movie I want to see and I have not seen is Primer, but it's really hard to find nowadays. I've never heard of Primer. Yeah, Primer, it was a, a movie put together on a super low budget, but had a lot of really great buzz, and it was released. Uh, it was released as as on DVD, and um, but the the people who made the DVD no longer it's no longer being produced at the moment. So now I can I've only seen uh, DVDs for like fifty bucks. So I don't know what's going on with that, but I've heard good things about it. That my coworkers really liked it as a time travel movie. So I'm gonna try to find a, a cheap copy one of these days. I'll keep an eye out on eBay and stuff. So. Or maybe they'll, they'll release it at some point. But yeah, there are movies I want to see right now. The two movies that I definitely want to see are Sinister and uh, Paranormal Activity 4. So we'll see how those go. Maybe by next time I'll have seen them. And uh, the the one that I want to bring up as news, and it will be a segue for us into the next topic. Uh, I, I don't know how this slipped my radar I blame you for not telling me. Uh-huh. It's your responsibility to keep me updated <laughs> on this stuff, so all my blame goes to you. We're getting a third Gamers movie. Yes, it was a Kickstarter, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The uh, So we're getting Gamers 3, Hands of Fate, I think is the uh, the subtitle. Correct. And I am beyond excited. I mean, when I told this to, to Beck, she you know lit up, she was like, oh, Game, you know, there are few, very few movies that we can just watch over and over and over again. Right. Hot, Hot Fuzz is one of them. We <laughs> love the Hot Fuzz movie; it's a really good film. Um, and then Gamers: Darkness Rising. You know, no yeah. matter if if the, if we can't figure out what we want to watch, that goes in. It's you know, it was the first movie we watched coming back to America from Japan. That we watched that, and we watched Indiana Jones Four. Indiana Jones Four was a terrible, terrible disappointment, and The Gamers was a surprising delight. <laughs> I agree. I agree with both of those sentiments. <laughs> 
So we're getting another gamers movie. I love the fact of bringing back all the characters from the uh, the second film. You know that they're they're continuing that storyline. Um, everyone looks in rare form. They got a really good Kickstarter budget, like the second highest uh, movie budget of any Kickstarter pro- uh, program, I think. Yeah, so yeah, it was funded on September seventh. It had a pretty it had a pretty significant goal. The goal was three hundred and twenty thousand, uh, and it made four hundred and five thousand nine hundred and sixteen dollars. But yeah, it looks like it is going to be very cool. It's one of those things where I'm glad – well, I'm not – okay, so let me frame this correctly. If I won the lottery, you know, if I had just money to just throw around, Mm -hmm. I would have thrown $10,000, that that (laughs) max, you know, backer thing that they have. Right, right. I I would have thrown $10,000 at that project. And if you looked at the $10,000 rewards thing that they had, Uh you get the executive producer title. You get to go to all the premieres for it, all the festivals for it. You get to, you know – work with the director as he, you know, does the, you don't get to like do the editing, but you can just, you know, be there as a sort of a sounding board and stuff like that. Hell yes. Well, you know, what's amazing for that, that, that particular reward. Someone did it. Actually, two people pledged $10,000 to the gamers. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if I yeah. had, if I had money to throw around, like if I, yeah. if I, you know, had enough money that, that and, and trust me, I know guys like this, you know, I, I, I work for a, you know, I don't want to give out the name, but I work for a software company right. that, that is, you know, has some pretty rich guys to work there. And I know guys who would do that. Yeah, and people did. So yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that was pretty, that was astonishing. Uh, actually, it looks like three, three people gave $10,000 at least. Yep. yep. Wow. Yeah. But it, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I did not, I don't think I did get to donate to that project, which saddens me, but, uh, yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be fun. The other gamers were a lot of fun. I, I definitely look forward to that. Uh, I think they might com- they're actually going to be coming out with adventures uh, for the gamers as well. I think that was one of the, the one of the goals. Hell was yeah! That, T- that- you know, go back to that well as much as you can. Yeah. So the, and the, the one that they mentioned, uh, the one that the guy was writing in the first one, I think they're actually going to come out with that uh, that RPG. So it'll be fun. Um, let's see. Other are there other Kickstarter things you're watching? I just want to go. Back to that one for just a second. I, yeah. The one that I really wanted to get the reward, you know, besides the ten thousand, they had if you you know donated a certain amount, you got a uh, a, a, a pile of dead bards mini. <laughs> so they had a mini for the, the the mound of dead bards that you could play in your games, and I was like, that's freaking perfect. Yes. If anyone has not watched the gamers, that is a, uh, a key part of the gamers two darkness rising, and you should immediately go and watch that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. See, when I, I let's what's the right, right way to frame this? One one of my the ways I connected with my father, um, who who passed away a couple years ago, was through movies. Him and I watched a ton of movies together, and I said, you know, Byron, if you ever want to fully understand me as a person, watch this movie, Gamers, you know, Darkness Rising, and and you will understand your son. Thinking that he would never watch it, and 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 if he did, he wouldn't get a lot of it. And so he did watch it, and he came back and he's like, "That was freaking hilarious." You know, he he laughed so hard he almost cried in certain scenes, and and the the mound of dead bards scene, the uh, dead bards was one of them. Oh, I see that miniature now. That is great. I see isn't, that, isn't that awesome? <laughs> yes. That and awesome. I was like, really, you understood that? And he's like, son, you've been playing D and D for so long. I picked up stuff through osmosis. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fair enough. That is so great. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> any other <laughs> Kickstarters you're watching? 
I just like the fact that you got a good giggle out of that. That was terrific. Don't you wish you had that just to yes, or whatever? It, you would probably never get a good chance to use it in a session, but it would always just be there, knowing like you know, if I need a, a you know mound of dead bards, I, I would I would make a chance. I'm gonna see how we can get that. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get that. We'll see how we can what we can do. Um. So, any Kickstarter news? Any other stuff going on on Kickstarter? There's a couple that I'm watching now. Uh, first, I want to say that I think at the beginning of our, as we started recording, Project Eternity by Obsidian Entertainment finished. It is now the number one video game on Kickstarter. It raised $3,986,929. Oh, did it finish? I was gonna, I was gonna donate to that. I forgot. Yes, it finished, it finished just a while ago. Um, but, uh, we will, I'm sure you'll be able to get a copy. It's not, it's not, uh, it is going to be a big release. I guarantee it. I hope so. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to come out on steam. Uh, yeah. Actually they do say it's going to come out on steam, so it'll be great. Okay. Uh, um, the other projects that I'm watching now, uh, our, our friend Scott has bought into the deluxe werewolf, the apocalypse 20th anniversary edition. As you know, the people from white wolf are using Kickstarter to fund, a lot of their stuff, including their uh, old World of Darkness games, uh, right now they're doing Werewolf. Um, these are deluxe, leather-bound, you know, fancy books. Uh, PDFs are cheaper. If you want the hardbacks, it is not for the faint of heart for this particular one. I think it is $110 uh, or so, to, or $120 to get the hardback. Um, but you know, it is a, it, it is a great book. Definitely, I, I hope to get the PDF. We'll see. You still got another couple weeks to to decide what you want to do on that. Um, other things that I am watching: Robin Laws, who is a, a designer who used to work with the Coast and some other other places, it has come out with the Hillfolk system. It is another um, a new diceless system. Actually, um, it uh, it somehow you exchange tokens with other players when you you know by either letting them do something or you do something and you can also spend tokens so you have kind of this currency that you can spend in order to do uh to to take certain actions it looks interesting um i haven't seen the actual rules system specifically but he's talked a little bit about it on his blog and i believe his newest podcast talks about it but i haven't had a chance to hear it yet but it's gotten some pretty pretty decent press it had a $3000 goal it's gotten $30000 so far um the way that this particular kickstarter is working and looking at how these different kickstarters work is i think is really interesting every stretch goal basically adds a new uh setting so his original one was called uh hillfolk and it is iron age and it's set in the iron age and it has to do you know with people with um you know, figuring out how to survive during the Iron Age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next stretch goal was uh, another author created Hollywoodland, and when you play during that time period when Hollywood was founded, and, you know, if you've seen the movies uh, about some of that stuff, it, that seems interesting. The next one was about Mad Scientist Anonymous, and former supervillains tried to fight the urge to relapse. And the next one was Moscow, Cold World Espionage. And the next one was World War Two stranded in time, and the, so it basically all these stretch goals are having new stories and new settings and new interesting things like that. So that looks kind of fun. Um, again, I'm watching this one as well. Uh, there's going to be some pretty fun things. We'll see how how that turns out. Uh, let's see, anything else super interesting? I'm watching one. I think is interesting and is absolutely not affordable, but I think has some very interesting uh, repercussions for society. Is the uh, 3D printer on Kickstarter? Have you seen that? 
I've heard about it. My one of my coworkers, she's getting a 3D printer and she's very excited about it. And I made a joke about her making a 3D print out of me giving her a high five to, to help <laughs> her through the mornings and stuff. Yeah, so there's a, this is an affordable 3D printer. The actual printer itself, if you use this Kickstarter, costs somewhere, let's see, yeah, about $2,700. Uh, but this one has, it has raised more than $2 million, uh, and it, it of a, of a $100,000 goal. So it looks like it's pretty amazing. Uh, they have examples of the stuff that they can make with this printer. They can make really small things, really detailed things. Uh, this is going to be a big deal moving forward because these, these 3D printers are getting cheaper. And, uh, Holly was showing me some website that sells, uh, stuff that you, uh, I forget what it's called, but I'll, I'll have that for next time. But basically you can create designs and this company will make them with its 3D printing technology for fairly reasonable prices and you can sell them pretty easily. So I think this is going to have some definite, you know, not quite Diamond, Neil Stevenson Diamond Age repercussions yet, but I think it's moving in that direction. Uh, here in Austin, there was a student at UT who recently got in a bit of hot water um, because he – and he's not a gun rights person, and he's, he's a law student, and he thought this was an interesting kind of thing. But what he was going to do was he leased a 3D printer, and he was going to sell uh, the, the pattern for people to make their one, one-time-use guns. There's not very good legal precedent for this type of thing, right? And it was, you know, it was going to be made in plastic, more or less. It was just making the parts, but, and it was, you know, self-defense, whatever. But it, it, the technology is, is, as it always does, is kind of outstripping the law in this particular case. So let me understand this. It's a plastic gun that could shoot one bullet? Correct. And then it would basically, that was the, the theory. Um, yes. It would shoot one bullet and then basically it would melt. Or something. Uh, it, he had, I don't think they'd actually made the working prototype yet, but he was. That was something that he was working on. And again, not like a gun rights person or a Second Amendment big Second Amendment activist person. Just thought it was interesting, is what the interviews with him seem like. So yeah. Have you seen this thing on Kickstarter for the Ouya? Ouya? What is it? O u y a. They're basically trying to fund. This thing is crazy. It's a. They're trying to make a console. Um, a video game console. Oh yes. Built on Android, it had a pledge goal of nine hundred fifty thousand, and they got eight million six hundred thousand. Yes, I did. Uh, I did hear about that. This thing is crazy. Yeah, I don't know how. Uh, that's one of the things that we're wondering how it's going to uh, come out. We'll see what happens. Yep. I mean, the the thing looks tiny. I don't understand how it can like power games and stuff, I'll have to put some more research into it, because this is the first time hearing about it, but it you're supposed to be able to play, like, you know, these very high-resolution games on this very, very tiny box. Yeah, they have an example of it running uh, League of Legends, I think, or, uh, or something like that, I forget what, but yeah, yeah. It, it can, it's supposed to be able to do stuff like that, so... Yep. Yep, uh, let's see, another one I'm looking at, D20 Monkey has a comic that's coming out, uh, I haven't really read it, though, so I'm not quite sure, and this one's kind of cute. There's a, a miniature. There's been a ton of minis Kickstarters that have all been really successful. Um, and one of them is that's coming out is the classic Dungeon Adventure miniature set, chibi anime style. And it's these little chibi anime miniatures. Uh, one of the reasons that it's been really successful is because, again, the My Little Pony folks have gotten behind it and have brought in all kinds of attention to it because of its unicorn, whatever minis. But also, 
here's a weird uh, copyright infringement kind of thing. The original minis that they are making are based basically based on the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon characters. So they have thief, ranger, barbarian, cavalier, magician, acrobat, what they call diminutive, diminutive mage, which is the dungeon master. Uh, and they have, uh, the demon prince, which is Avenger and stuff like that. It, but it, I mean, the, the, the minis look super, super cute. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens with this. Uh, they just hit their stretch goal for Cthulhu, for a Cthulhu mini. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, does this fall under parody clause? It's kind of hard to say. Uh, we, it, that it could, well, so that would be a fair use. That's what I've been asking. Is this a fair use? Maybe. Um, it doesn't, I doubt it's going to have a negative effect on the market. It's obviously copying. It's obviously transformative though. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it is something that I would be, I would find a bit too risky given how Wizards of the Coast tends to be, um, Oh. I don't want to say protective of its of its properties. I'll say. Oh, so I, you're you're going for politically correct. I'll, I'll put it as it is. Uh, they're litigation happy. Yes, they they have been in the past litigation happy. There's been recent trends that they haven't been, but we'll see. Um, and so uh, you know maybe this. I would say it should be a fair use. I'd still I'm not still still not sure I would risk it myself. But I, I think it looks great. I I I think this looks actually pretty interesting. Um, I'll put a link to it just because it's cute. Um, but yeah, and those are the ones that I'm watching at the moment. Come on, don't I get credit for knowing the the, the parody clause and you know, stuff like that? Huh? Yes, yes, you do. Okay, I just want you know, just want my little you know tap <laughs> on the head. You're, you're yes. very good, BJ. So, so par- yeah, so parody is usually listed as as an example of what is a fair use. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it looks it looks cute. You know, the chibi style. I I I, I mean, I'm I'm no legal specialist, but it looks like it's you know fair use parody. So. Yeah, I would hope so, but we'll see. We'll see. But you're, like we said, Wizards of the Coast, because, and, and I understand because of, you know, some of the blowback they've had from Pathfinder and stuff, they've become a little litigation happy to protect their intellectual property. So, it's just how it goes. Um, so, I'm ready to move on from Kickstarter. I've got a couple of books to mention. Go for it. So one thing that I think people w- might want to take advantage of is, uh, are you familiar with the Humble Indie Bundles? No. So so there's been these things that have come out called the Humble Indie Bundle for video games. And uh, if you go to hum- HumbleBundle.com, uh, you can see the, the, what, the, what the bundles are. The current one is not a video game bundle, though. It is an ebook bundle. So right now they're running the Humble ebook bundle. And this is cool because basically you donate to or you you purchase these things, you set your price, and in your price you can set how much of it goes to the authors, how much of it goes to charity, and how much of it goes to this hum- this organization that sets this kind of thing up. So these humble indie bundles have been have been these independent video games. This is different. This is this is um, this is published material. Um, so if you if you if you um, if you give anything. Anything whatsoever, you get uh, six books. You get two books by Kelly Link, which are supposed to be excellent, a book by Mercedes Lackey, a book by Lauren Books called Zoo City, which is actually pretty good, a book by uh, Paolo Bajacupi, and a book by Cory Doctorow. And those are all, you know, pretty well-known authors and pretty great. Uh, and and I, I, I've read uh, a couple of those books, and they're they're pretty good, and I'm looking forward to reading the other ones. If you, if you pay more than the average – which is currently thirteen thirteen dollars and nineteen cents. You also get 
Old Man's War by John Scalzi, which is an excellent book, a very, very good book. Uh, Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean's a comic by them. And you get four other comics, including XKCD Volume Zero, uh, two books by Zach Weiner, which are, are Wiener, which are very, very funny. And then two books of Penny Arcade, all electronic copies. So if you pay more than $13.19 in sometime in the next week, you can get all of those books. This looks really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. It was really cool with all the Humble Bundles, and this book thing is very cool also. They also have a super easy way, to, if you're using a Kindle, for example, you can download them at any time. You have this little library on the site, but you could, they also have a super easy way to get them on your Kindle, basically to just email them to your Kindle for you. It's terrific. It, it, looks, it looks really great, and I highly recommend it. All of these authors are terrific. So apparently they settled some some big lawsuit with that because uh, my wife started getting some refunds from Amazon for some of the ebooks she'd been buying. So there was a settlement having to do with pricing. Uh, that gets really complicated, and we can talk about that sometime if you want. But basically what happened was Apple and a bunch of the publishers were colluding to set ebook pricing under what they called the agency model in which um, but basically they were they were they were uh, it was an antitrust violation having to do with them colluding um, yes and so as part of the settlement uh, people are getting refunds from stuff they bought on Amazon from uh, certain publishers that were involved with that and ebook prices are going to go back down again or at least and some already have uh, which is also pretty good for consumers Hey, all power. That's one of the things that that uh, my wife complained a lot about was that the price difference between an electronic book and a physical book was not very different. Right, and that was that was entirely the actions of the publisher. It, and it's this very weird thing where, and this is a bit of an aside, but you know, over time, especially before digital stuff, we were we've been used to paying different stuff for different formats, right? We've been used to, we we buy we bought a tape. We bought a DVD. They don't cost the same. We buy a hardback. We buy a paperback. They don't cost the same. So with this digital stuff, one of the things that's been, I think, very jarring for consumers is that the publishers have been saying, "Oh no, no, you're not paying for the you're not paying for the format. You're paying for the content. So it should all be the highest price, basically, which is is not right in one sense and or in many senses. It's not accurate and it's not right. Um, so yeah, it's it's been an interesting kind of time. And again, this is my area, partly my area of study, so we could talk about this forever, so I'm going to skip this for now. But, yeah, we could talk about that at some point in time. Okay, well, we can save that for, you're, you're absolutely right, because just as like a devil's advocate, you know, slightly, you know, there's, there's Steam charges the same amount of money for a game as you would get it if you were like on a CD or something like that, right? So in that case, you are paying, you know, both ways for content, right? But, I don't want to bring it up because we're going to go down the the you know we're going to go down a hole on that one. So we'll talk about it some other time. Yeah, yeah, that, that, and that's a fun that's a fun conversation. Yeah. Um, some other books I've read recently that are really really good and I highly recommend them. Uh, Feed uh, by Mira Grant, who is a pseudonym for Seanan McGuire. Really like Seanan McGuire has this really excellent uh, fantasy series called Rosemary and Rue. Uh, underneath the pseudonym, she wrote a zombie series. Uh, Feed actually came out in 2010, and I only had a chance to read it pretty recently. It's probably it is the best zombie book I've read since World War Z. Uh, it is it's great, it's terrific, highly recommend it. It's called Feed by Mira Grant, uh, available on Kindle and in, in uh, paperback. The other one I read was called The Rook by Daniel O'Malley, which uh, in which basically a a person wakes up with no memory and she's surrounded by dead bodies. She has notes in her pocket that say, hey, if you're reading this, 
you're in my body. Well, you, well, my basically your my memories have been erased, and now you're a new person or something like that. And she's basically part of a kind of supernatural spy organization. Uh, and it's a really, really well done book. So the Rook by Daniel O'Malley and Feed by Mira Grant. Highly recommend them. Both really awesome. Cool. So are we ready to talk RPGs real quick? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk RPGs. So my big news, my biggest news having to do with RPGs is that a book I worked on came out, just came out. It is the Midgard campaign setting uh, done published by Kobold Press. Uh, lead authors Wolfgang Bauer. Chapter authors include Jeff Grubb, whose name will be coming up later on, uh, one of the person who worked Wizards of the Coast and works uh, on Guild Wars 2 now, uh, Brandon Hodge, Christina Stiles, and Dan Voice. And then there's about a dozen other uh, contributing authors, uh, including Ed Greenwood, who you might know as, again, one of the, the creator of the Forgotten, or yep, Forgotten yep. Realms. And, uh, and me, <laughs> I'm one of those people as well. Oh, so, yeah, really, our, our boy has been cutting his teeth, and he's made a name for himself. So I'm very excited by that. Actually, I didn't even realize that. One of my co-authors said, I'm on the same byline with Ed Greenwood. That's so awesome. I'm like, huh. That's true. <laughs> weird, very weird. So yeah, it's it's it is a great campaign setting. I have to say, I am I didn't write so much of the story except in some I wrote some NPCs and stuff like that. I mainly worked on writing spells, NPCs, uh, deities, stuff like that. But I think it is a terrific campaign setting. It is been described as dark fantasy, uh, highly inspired by Eastern European Slavic mythology, Norse mythology, different different areas. Uh, a lot of fun. A lot. Uh, you know, it, it's. It, I think it's a terrific book. Uh, I have a brief review of it on at comingoutofthebasement.com, uh, and all so far, all the reviews on it have been five star on on different sites. Uh, it is available right now from coboldquarterly.com and paizo.com, and uh, Green Ronin might be selling some stuff. I'm not sure. Um, the, the systems that it comes with are uh, an RPG net, RPGnow.com for PDF. It is written sort of. It is written for Pathfinder and AGE, which is the Dragon Age system. Um, although it's easily portable to pretty much anything, uh, we'll see. And if there's enough demand, we'd port to 4E or whatever else. I'm confident that we can get Wolfgang to do that. Uh, if there's demand, they're basically willing to do anything there related to that. So yeah, uh, really, really great setting. Check it out. It will be at your friendly local gaming store. I either late this month or early next month. I, I actually suspect it's next month, but it'll be available everywhere next month. But right now you can order them online. And you brought the book uh, with you when we had our gaming session this weekend. I didn't get a chance to read it because I was a little busy um, running the game and right. trying to print out Scott's character sheet and uh, half another <clears throat> dozen other things. So the, the, the D&D setup we use is pretty awesome with the TV and stuff, but it does take a little setup and coordination. So... Uh, you got to bring it next time because I want to see some of the stuff that you wrote. Yeah, and the art is awesome. The art is like some of the best art I've ever seen in this in one of these in an RPG book. It's terrific. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely bring it next time. Uh, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so that was my other news. The other stuff I saw recently that came out is uh, Ed Greenwood came out with Elminster's Forgotten Realms, which is kind of interesting. It's system neutral, but if you like Forgotten Realms, it's basically all the notes and what happened in his home campaign. And it's a giant, you know, or not, not a giant, but it's a big book on Forgotten Realms, which is kind of cool. So uh, I'm going to check that out at some point in time. Uh, any other RPG news? I'm starting to get a little disenfranchised with the War of the Burning Sky campaign. Yeah? Um, I know we're having fun, uh, and, and I know Shane and Letha have been enjoying the story. I think you've been enjoying the story. I think Scott and JJ just surfed the net in between combat. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't think they're interested in the story at all. But I have to do a lot of work, um, preparatory work, to get the story, you know, in a cohesive style because the the module kind of reads like stereo instructions. Uh-huh. In that, you know, there was uh, you, you guys have come up to this major section. It's the, this Ford, and there's a lot of storyline here, a lot of plot to be told. But they don't present it within a logical timeline fashion, right? So that first encounter that you guys had on the fort um, with the on the bridge and stuff like that, yeah, that's actually in the middle of this whole section. That's weird. They don't like present that early on, like, oh, by the way, when you get here, you're gonna have a fight. So it, it, it I, I don't know. I'm getting a little frustrated with it because it's it's taking a lot of work to to make it. Makes sense, so. Right, which is, you know, not why you buy a module. Yeah, which is why I've been thinking about the other campaign. So, like I said, I went and saw Hotel Transylvania, and one of the things, Carlos and I have talked about this on several occasions, I have always wanted to run a Call of Cthulhu game. But there are problems with that, right? Problem number one, getting horror campaigns to run like a horror campaign can be difficult. You know, it's not like a horror movie. Or book, you know, getting everyone on the table and you're trying to inspire horror can be difficult, uh, especially for our group of people who are all, all a little bit sarcastic and, you know, disenfranchised a little bit, I guess you could say. Um, but the other thing is, I've never heard of a Call of Cthulhu game where the players won, I guess, or were... Right, you win by living. Right? You, win, you, you win by living, but most of the Call of Cthulhu games I've heard of, you know, tend to end pretty horribly. Sure. Yes. Uh, and so I, I wanted something where the, the fight against the Cthulian forces, the, the Elder forces, was a bit more, not even keel, but, you know, you didn't feel like you were going to get consumed at any moment. And so I want to run a classic monsters versus Cthulhu campaign. Classic monsters such as, you know, the Wolfman or Werewolves, Dracula, Vampires, Frankenstein, sort of these undead, you know, constructs. The mummy, um, sort of like a, a lich type of deal, stuff like that. These on these these classic monsters who, in their heyday, you know, kind of setting up a little bit of a timeline, they were evil and they tried to rule humanity and, and stuff like that. And then these elder forces, the Cthulian forces, came to be and came through the the the, uh, the deep space where they exist to you know to consume humanity. And that's where these evil monster these monsters got a taste for what true evil is, right? They realize they're not really evil, they're just kind of selfish, <laughs> right? And that these things truly just want to wipe out everything, right? And so back a long time ago, these monsters had to kind of team up with humanity to, you know, push back evil forces. Now we're in modern times, the Cthulian forces are coming back again, trying to, you know, open the dark portals again, get back into uh, Earth and, and stuff, and so... These monsters have taken upon themselves to become protectors of humanity. They see that there's merit in humanity, there's merit in protecting humanity. So they take the fight to, you know, these elder forces. Um, and so, but the thing is, is that as they're trying to protect humanity, they also have to keep themselves hidden from humanity, you know, because they have, you know, that bad reputation. And then, you know, people, you know, if you see a vampire, you know, you're like, oh, God, bloodsucker, want to kill us, you know, stuff like that. So... That's what I want to run. I want to run a Cthulhu campaign where it's not humans trying to beat back the forces, but these classic monsters. The problem I'm having is I can't find a good system to run for this. I, I've invested time into looking up GURPS, uh, the Cthulhu campaign setting itself, the White Wolf campaign setting. 
I, I'm, I'm having trouble like coming up with a good system to work for all this stuff. Yeah, I want to say I, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, it's certainly not your classic Cthulhu campaign. I mean, you know, if you're going into a Cthulhu campaign, you're expecting to go crazy and die, and that can be fun. And, you know, it can be fun to be the incredible underdog in in something like that, and that is certainly one of the one of the appealing aspects of the Cthulhu game. But I think this is going to be a really fun take on that. I, I really love the idea of the Monster Squad versus Cthulhu. That'll be that'll be very very cool. The system, yeah, that's that's going to be tough. I see I see why you looked at the ones you did. Yeah, I, 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 that's why I want to get Hero Labs. I started surfing through Hero Labs. I was looking for templates because basically I want you guys to be able to easily just adapt whatever monster you want to be, right? So you don't have to put a lot of time into building it, right? You can just say, okay, I'm going to be this character and make a few minor modifications to, to make the character work with your concept and then slap on a template like, okay, this is, you know, me as a vampire or me as a werewolf or me as an undead, right? Right. And, the only thing I've really found that kind of fits that to a certain degree, like Mutants and Masterminds has some pretty decent templates that fit that stuff pretty well. Uh, but I don't know if Mutants and Masterminds is right because it doesn't really have a good horror right. statistic, right? You know, no, like, sanity tracker. White Wolf might work, but White Wolf is kind of all over the place for how the power levels work between the different um, creature types, right? You know, right. power levels between, like, a werewolf and a vampire are drastically different on what they can do, and... Also, like, the vampires get way too granular. You know, you have to figure out, you know, my Nosferatu or, or a uh, Gangrel and then, you know, bloodlines and clans. And I don't want to mess with that stuff, right? I don't want you to, to have to, to micromanage your character like that. I just want you to say, okay, I'm a vampire. And, you know, I'm maybe uh, the, the vampire who's, you know, I, I just don't want the character, you know, players to feel like they have to go to that granular level. They can if they want to, but. Sure. They can just be a vampire if they want to just be a vampire and have that template slapped on top. Right. So I'm I'm appealing to the general audience. If you are an RPG fan and you know something that might work well for this that I've maybe overlooked or something, a supplement or what have you, let me know. I'm interested because I'm trying to figure out how to make all this work. Yeah, I'll have to look at that. And, you know, finding a decent character creator would help, but that's that's kind of tough, too. Like, I know uh, Hero Lab does do White Wolf, but they don't do everything White Wolf. I think they just have Vampire and Changeling and the new versions, not the original versions. So, yeah, that's I'm gonna, I'll, I'll think about that some as well. Definitely, if anyone has suggestions, let us know. Yep, yep. That's that's. I think that's – I know I talked about doing a Mass Effect campaign, but I, I don't think – I think while that sounds interesting in theory – we already know a lot of the Mass Effect, you know, most of the people in our group have played Mass Effect, so there's not going to be any surprises in there, right? Yeah, and I think I mentioned I mentioned to you that I uh, that we did ask on GreenRonin.com, who have the license for uh, Dragon Age, uh, if there was going to ever be a Mass Effect campaign. Actually, I was going to ask them that, and someone had just asked them that uh, earlier that day. Uh, and basically what they said is, well, we've talked with BioWare before, and we've talked with... Uh, with uh, the Mass Effect team, and really right now they don't have any major interest in having an RPG, which saddens me. It saddens me too, because I think there's there's a lot of good stuff to be had there, so it's it's surprising to me. Right. So, as much as I want to run a Mass Effect uh, Mass Effect campaign, that's not something I want to just like figure out all the mechanics for. Like, there's mechanics out there for vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. I just got to figure out, you know, which you know one fits best what I'm trying to do. There is nothing out there for the the um, you know the the Mass Effect fields needed to be you know the the various classes in there right? engineer versus the um, 
It's that uh, the not the uh, psionicist, but it's something like that. The, they they have classes, but it's hard. It would be hard to get you know all the variations to fit in, right? Yeah, definitely. So and and I'm way too lazy to do that. And then we talked about doing an XCOM campaign, but X, you know, I, I'm having a lot of fun with the XCOM game. But the XCOM campaign would be kind of boring in that. All right, gotta go kill aliens. All right, it's a good it's a good segue though. It is a good segue. So going into uh, we got a bunch of video games that have come out recently. Um, yes. Borderlands 2 came out, Torchlight came out, XCOM came out, Dishonored came out, right? So we're kind of bombarded. It's the uh, we're getting into that season of just, you know, game after game after game. Wife's playing Dishonored. I've been playing XCOM. Um, have you been playing anything new? I've been playing WoW, which I'll talk about a little bit later on. And so much like my television, my video gaming is like, yeah, you're a year or two behind because I have these great spurts of having to write. <laughs> so I started playing Skyrim finally. And here's the funny thing. I am also playing Skyrim. Uh, not because I've, I have played it before, but I got an awesome new computer that's like super with graphics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Skyrim looks beautiful. And the first time I played it, I didn't get to play it with all the cool graphics on because it was a, a worse computer. So now I get to play it, and I just throw all the settings to high, and I just don't care, and it looks amazing. So I want to replay it on super graphics mode. Yeah, so I've been playing Skyrim. Love it. Did you get the Dawn Guard and the uh, the Earth Fire or whatever? Not, not yet. I'm not going to get through that. I'm probably not going to get that until I get much further through the game. There's a lot. I forgot how much stuff there is to do in that game. There's a yeah. lot of stuff. Yeah, I've actually completely ignored the storyline entirely, and it's like I'm just going to go become the Archmage. So I've been doing all of the mage quests and you know spending all my time doing that, and have completely skipped every single major quest so far. But I'm having a great time with it. I can see how, for some people, the game can be a little intimidating because it's so open world and it's so just go do whatever you want. And mm-hmm. so you kind of feel a little lost. You're like, because by the time you get out of the starter cave, you're just like, all right, I can do anything. Yeah. I, the, the guy's like, hey, follow me to my, you know, the, this town. You can follow him. Don't have to, though. You yeah, can just... I, that is the only thing I did. I followed him to the town. He's like, oh, you should go here and go here. I'm like, eh, not right now. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it can be very intimidating for some people who are used to playing games that are a bit more on the rails. It's so much fun, though. Like, I'm walking at night, and I see a headless horseman ghost run by. Like, what the? And so I grab my horse and then chase after him, to, and he ends up at a graveyard. And it's like, wow, this is just amazing detail. I, I'm i always shocked, like, because I'll, I'll kind of get lost going through the woods, and then there'll be something weird like a giant that's just out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I'm like, oh crap, because giants are giants are harder than dragons to kill. What the are hell they is really? Because I haven't fought a dra- I haven't fought a dragon yet, but I've killed a giant. So you you killed a giant? Yeah, yeah. How, what level were you? Uh, eleven. I tell you, giants giants are my biggest fear because they can one shot, and, and not only do they kill you, if they hit you with that that you know club just right, you'll go flipping in the air. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So giants are my big fear. I have no problems with dragons. I've killed, I think I've killed about ten dragons at this point. Yeah, I need a, I, I know from from reading that there's like dragon shouts, and I can do them, but I've never actually learned how to do them, which is very weird. Um, and so I have to go back and follow the main storyline to get to that, I think. But so far, I haven't really needed them. So. Yeah, I I, I forget if there's a level cap on there because there's a ton of skills that you can train, and I don't know if you can train in all of them. Yeah. Um. 
Borderlands, I actually started playing Borderlands briefly, uh, the first one, because it's on so much sale since Borderlands 2 came out. And that was fun. It's been, it's been kind of neat so far. I, I haven't spent a lot of time with it, uh, because I've been playing Vandaria. But, uh, Borderlands 1 has been fun, so, but I haven't heard a lot about Borderlands 2 yet. Borderlands 2 has been pretty fun. I've dabbled in it a little bit, but I kind of stayed away because I wanted to play with the guys. Um, and it's, you know, Borderlands is a great multiplayer game. They had their first DLC. Actually, they have two DLC out. They they released the Necromancer a couple weeks ago, and then they released uh, the Pirate Bay one this week. I was a little bit disappointed because Necromancer, from what I understand and the reviews I've been reading, the Necromancer isn't very, very overpowered, like disgustingly so. And that's that's a new class, right? Basically. Yeah, that's, that's a new class. A new person, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll check it out. So I just don't want there's there can be a bad trend with downloadable content where if you pay for the additional content, the additional content is like, you know, leagues better than the original content as far as like power and stuff like that. I don't want that to be a continuing trend because I think that, you know, uh, that engenders bad, you know, behavior and stuff. And bad design, I mean. Bad design, you're right. You're in an, you're in an arms race then, right? So um Dishonored is on my list of things to buy. I, I definitely want to check it out. I've liked what I've heard about it so far. It is uh, it was developed by a company here in Austin, and it's being produced or distributed, sorry, through by Bethesda. So uh, I, I really do want to play Dishonored. Uh, my wife played it. She enjoyed it, but was a little disappointed in it. You know, there's a lot of moral gray going on there and it encourages you to not kill people if you want to be good and she right. kind of enjoys that aspect it's very bioshocky right and feel right. and when you say that aspect you mean you mean killing people or not killing people what you said she enjoys that aspect she enjoys killing people gotcha okay. but she doesn't want to be penalized for it right she right. still wants to get a good ending you know without killing cuz not killing people is very difficult difficult so if you want to get the good ending you have to put a lot of effort in right i've heard that yeah to get the good ending you have to go super stealthy and and choose your powers carefully and and try to not kill people i you know i do want to i've heard it compared to like thief 3 which i loved um i i and i really like the world that i've seen described so far the steampunk and the interesting kind of magic stuff so it is on my list of things and perhaps by this time next year i will have played it <laughs> yeah just give it a year yeah, okay so so we'll we'll mark the date you That's know right. we we are uh, october 16th 2012 so uh, by 2013 around this time i think we'll be talking about dishonored again hopefully hopefully um the uh, one of the things i want to mention the graphics just didn't look that good unfortunately Oh, I, I, yeah, I'm not shocked. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I've heard the design looks interesting. The graphics, I, I'm sure they're not at Skyrim level. Well, I was expecting to be kind of at Bioshock level, at least, and, and I, it felt like they were missing. For a game that relies on a lot of stealth, I felt the shadows were a little bit dull on it, and, you know, a lot of it looked kind of bland, um, just from a color palette perspective and stuff, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been playing XCOM. I've been playing XCOM. I am a huge huge fan of the original XCOM. I played it years ago on the uh, PlayStation. Um, I have a emulator for it on my tablet, so I actually play it on my tablet when I'm overseas in Australia and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I It was a brutal game. I remember when I first played it, I named my soldiers after my friends and loved ones and then watched them all <laughs> die horribly. Yeah, that's a bad idea. And I started this one up on Iron Man mode, oh which was a mistake. Because I lost everyone, I, I I lost the game. Like I completely died and, and lost all my soldiers. They all died, and 
you know, lost uh, all the, the the countries, lost confidence in me, and pulled out of the uh, the alliance and stuff. So I had to start over in uh, normal mode and uh, play kind of a wussy fashion, but that's okay because I like the fact that it doesn't hold any punches and and it is a brutal strategy game to a certain degree. Some people have complained that it dumbs it down a little too much. It doesn't have time units anymore, and you there's cover in the game, so people, like, if you run up to a wall or something like that, your character will automatically take cover. Mm-hmm. In the game, you would have to do specific things. You'd have to tell people to kneel behind stuff or what have you. You don't have to do that in this one. They just automatically kneel if it's, like, half cover or something like that. I don't mind them taking away that level of micromanagement. Yeah. Right? All it did was bog down gameplay, right? And and it, you have to focus on the micromanagement instead of, you know, there's there's a fine line between tactical and annoyingly micromanaged. Right. I and, agree. And I think they found the sweet spot. I think they found the butter zone for this one because it is tactical, but it's not annoying, right? Cool. So it's it's a very fun game. It, it, I think it's very true to the original while being modern and updated. Uh, Scott and I played some PvP on it a little bit. He kicked my butt thoroughly. And, yeah, I think uh, if, you, if you like the original XCOM, you'll love this game. Cool. I will check it out someday. <clears throat> in, in a year? It Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. I think Dishonored is before it, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. So, no, the game that I've been playing, I have been playing uh, World of Warcraft Mist of Pandaria. Uh, pretty consistently since it came out, actually, uh, which is pretty pretty amazing. I, I wasn't sure when I'd heard uh, about Mr. Pandaria. I was, was like, oh, really, are they going to be selling out to the Kung Fu Panda? Is it going to be all kiddie and whatever? You know, Kung, you know, Kung Fu Pandas really was kind of my reaction. It's been awesome. I've been really impressed by it. I, I'm kind of astonished at, at what a good job they've done. Uh, with, with Pandaria, especially after, you know, Cataclysm, which, uh, they made a lot of changes that I really didn't like, and I didn't actually like the, uh, in-game or monotony of, of some of the stuff I found in Cataclysm very much. Um, there is so, I mean, one, Pandaria itself, you know, it introduced the Pandaran race, the monk class, uh, and then two new areas. There's the Wandering Isle for starting Pandarans, which naturally is on the back of a turtle, and uh, and Pandaria, which is an area for levels 85 through 90. Um, it's amazing. Uh, the they've done a, a graphics refresh, so so stuff looks so much better uh, than it than it did before. The colors are terrific. Pandaria as an area is one of the best looking places I've seen. It obviously has a, a, an Asian theme. Um, you can ride cloud dragons, you can ride clouds, uh, you know, as mounts and stuff like that. They've introduced a ton of mini games and a lot, uh, a lot of content. Uh, we, we are not going to be running out of content anytime soon in this game. Um, they have, I mean, they have dungeons, they have mini dungeon things, which are basically called scenarios. Uh, if you remember the arenas from Northrend where you'd go and like fight a series of monsters, that's a, the new one is a scenario. Uh, every area looks gorgeous. Uh, there's so many quests, you know, daily quests, so much content at in-game. And that's one of the things that I think they've done incredibly well is that, uh, you know, a lot of content doesn't even unlock until you hit level 90. Um, and, and there's just tons. It'll take, it'll take months to get through even the quests, like not talking about the dungeons, the raids, the scenarios. It'll take a long time. And this is the first time that they're introducing a, 
level one to eighty class. They introduced the uh, the Death Knight, but that was a level what was it seventy to, to whatever. It was fifty five, I think. Actually, was it fifty five? Okay, yeah, fifty five when it came out. Yeah, this is this is a one to eighty class. The monk. Uh, I actually we have monks. We've created we've created a couple of monk characters, um, and we've gotten off of the starting aisle and into a little bit of the next area. But we've been playing our mains, which are now level ninety, so much that we just really haven't had time to go back to the monks. What I've seen of the monks so far is good. And I've healed monks, uh, monk tanks, because as you probably know, my main, well, you know, but our audience doesn't, my main character in WoW is a healer, is a, a Draene a drain a priest, uh, and I usually heal holy. And I've, we've been doing the, the uh, Brewfest uh, dungeon to, to uh, kill the main guy, and I've gotten to heal them. And the very first time I, I healed the panda monk, I was like, oh, man, this is awful. I, I thought they were going to be so because I've, I've been healing it pretty consistently, and this guy was just impossible to heal, and I was really dreading it. And he quit, and and uh, he quit the group, and and we got immediately got another Pandaren monk. And I was like, oh gosh, but no, it was terrific. He was great. So it is it was it was the guy. It was basically I'm saying it was the guy, not the class. The next he, he this guy, the next guy that we actually did was the best tank that I had that I had played with, you know, certainly that week. So no, it, it's been good. The monk class is interesting. It's it's one of those classes like the druid that you can be either a healer or a DPS or a tank. The design is fun. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to be a panda. A lot of the races can do the monk. Uh, but yeah, it, it's pretty neat. I, I've been so happy. They have a couple of mini games since they've instituted. They have a Farmville mini game at in game, uh, which is actually weirdly addicting and I think a lot less annoying than Farmville actually is. And they have basically what is a Pokemon mini game, uh, which we haven't been playing a lot of, but another couple of people I know are just completely addicted to that. And we haven't been playing a lot of it just because we have other things to do, like actual content that we're trying to go through. But I've, you know, done it a little bit and it is fun. It's a fun little Pokemon game. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 compared to the last uh, expansion in particular, I am incredibly happy with this uh, with this expansion thing. The other thing you, they've done now is cross realm uh, partying. You know, you can party with people in other areas if you're BattleNet friends with them. If, you're, if you got their BattleNet tag, uh, and, and party together, which is awesome. And they've been needing that for a while because it's been yes. it's been very difficult. Like, because you know, friends and friends are like, oh yeah, I play World of Warcraft I'm on server, blah blah blah, and you're like, oh exactly. cool, well. Never, ever, ever see you. Right, exactly. No, that's been that's been great. I actually got contacted by a friend in high school recently, who I, or actually from junior high, who I hadn't heard from in a few. You know, my best friend back in junior high found me, and he's like, "Do you play WoW by any chance?" I'm like, "Yeah." And so, so we started. To, you know, we were going to start to do stuff. We haven't yet, but we're going to try to get uh, get together and, and in the game, which is awesome because he's of course on a different server. Um, and you can even for this that party thing, you can even cross realm like realm type. Uh, you can you can party together with somebody to do stuff from PVE, PvP, whatever, which is great. At at some point, they might even open up to um, cross faction grouping, but uh, they eh, that's that's a you know iffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, in the end, really happy with this expansion. Think it's think it's awesome. Highly recommend it. Um, if you've ever even considered going back to WoW, because obviously you've played it before, anybody who's listening to this, uh, definitely time to do it. It's it's great. It's really really good. I have to say, Pandaria is a beautiful place, and they I think they've done a really good job. Actually, the person, the, the people I know who have had the most problem with Pandaria, because um, you know how I mentioned, there's so much content to go through uh, as as a high level character, are people who have multiple high level characters. 
because if you have a lot of alts, getting through all the content is impossible. I, I'm not even going to say it's difficult. Right now, I'd say it's impossible. That's, that's what I hear. And one of the things I keep hearing about is the talent changes, and that's one of the things that's been kind of scaring me about going back. I, I love them so far. I think they're – I actually really like the talent changes that I've seen. Um, it, it does seem – it's weird. It, it's weird in some of ways, but they've also made switching talents much easier. Like, mm-hmm. change, you know how it used to be such a pain to go back and redo all your talents and all that other stuff like that? Not anymore. You, you have items, uh, basically, I, forget, I think they're called Tomes of Relearning or something like that, and uh, you can buy a stack of them if you're in a guild and you have the Guild Herald or Guild page, you can just buy them directly from them, um, or you can go to a city and buy them. But basically, you can unlearn a talent and choose a different talent in that area, which I've done a bunch of times. So you can, you know, to a large extent, you can kind of change talents on the fly if you want to, um, which is pretty neat. Uh, but that further makes the problem of diverse, uh, character class diversification even more pronounced, right? One of the things I noticed, like when they introduced the dual spec system, right, where mm-hmm. you could swap between different specs, all of a sudden there was a drop-off of the specialized classes, a.k.a. Warlock, Mage, Ranger, Rogue, right? These classes who were like, I am a DPS. And all of a sudden you saw the rise of the hybrid characters, a.k.a. Paladins, Druids, who could be anything, right? right? So why invest in a character class who is specialized and can only do one thing when you can do one of the hybrids and they can do all the stuff and they can do them fairly well? Yeah, um, that's that's a little bit different now, um, but not too much. You're right. I mean, anybody anybody can do that. Um, and Holly Holly struggles with that some because she plays a hunter, which is a, a DPS class. Um, yeah, it, that that can be complicated. I agree, and and I think that hasn't really completely been addressed in this. Jim complains about that constantly because he's like, I'm a DPS. He's a mage. He's like, I'm a DPS class. All I do is DPS. Why in the world should a you know druid be able to out DPS me? Uh, which is true. I, I agree. That is that is a problem, and I think it's one that they should address. Um, but yeah, it, it's it is it is still really neat. I I'm really happy with it. Yep, yep. Uh, and and when I quit playing, I was originally playing a rogue, and I switched to paladin when the the DPS or when the uh, dual spec thing happened because I was like, why not? Paladin can heal, he can heal well, he can <clears throat> tank, and he can uh, he can DPS. So why not? Yeah, I don't know who the top people are right now. I know hunters are actually doing really well DPS wise. Hunters and shaman actually are doing, I think, are doing very well DPS-wise at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, that changes pretty regularly, so we'll see what happens with the next update. Yeah, it's shocking how much these minor tweaks can have on, like, who's top tier for, for DPS and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I've been doing my dailies. I'm trying to get a Cloud Serpent now. It's, yeah, it's awesome. I, uh, I, I quit because I felt like I won the game because I got the... Uh, ability to uh, transform into a dragon and people could ride me. And I was like, all right, I, I've ascended. <laughs> yes, the, the, yeah, the, that, that is awesome. Um, oh, what was I going to say? There was, there, yeah, there's just been a lot of really fun things introduced into the, into the game. Um, but yeah. Of course, the other game people playing, and like, let's talk about this for a little bit, Guild Wars 2. Yeah, we keep meaning to have like a, a really, you know, deep dive episode on, on Guild Wars 2, but we keep uh, going pretty long between episodes. So we got a lot of news we got to cover. So I think we'll have to push this back to another, you know, episode to really yeah, cover it. We're seeing that we're at the hour and a half mark. Yeah. But so. we'll, we'll talk about Guild Wars 2, still playing it. I'm having a lot of fun. I don't play it as much as I was because 
I hit level 80 and I got some decent gear and I kind of feel like I've accomplished a lot of the goals. I still want to get 100% map completion and get a legacy, <laughs> so I'm kind of working on that in a minor yes. perspective. But that's when I switched over to playing some Skyrim and XCOM. Our friends, Matt and Scott, have found great entertainment in the economics of the game. Right. Because Guild Wars is very unique in that there's only one auction house. It's in that... They have multiple servers, but all the servers go to the same auction house for selling and buying. So if you buy mats or something like that, you could be buying the mats from some dude on a completely different server. And because of that, the auction house is very cutthroat. Yep. So I I turn on Skype in the morning, and I see a lot of cursing about what happened in the auction house overnight. (laughs) Yeah, they, they, you know. And the other thing is, you can set, just as you could set orders for selling, like, oh, I'm selling this, and here's the price that I want, right? You can also set buy orders saying, okay, I want to buy or, and here's the price I'm willing to pay for it, right? And so that also makes it a lot more cutthroat because it makes the prices just fluctuate incredibly right? based off of these static buy orders that are in place. Yeah, um, I've played Guild Wars 2 as well. Uh, I have, I'm not in-game, like, I think you all are in-game now, right? Uh, yeah, we're all level 80. Yeah, you're, you're, you all are doing in-game stuff. I am 47 or something like that. I'm, I, I've got a Mesver, but I haven't been playing it as much because I've been playing WoW. Uh, Guild Wars 2, I've heard all kinds of things about it. Uh, an old friend of ours has had called it a WoW killer, although he's not playing it at the moment, which is kind of interesting, uh, for a while. Is that and Tom? That was Tom, yeah. Yeah, I got and that then, email too, yeah. Yeah, and then I saw, yeah, I saw you on the email. And then another friend of mine said that he hated the in-game and was never coming back to it again. So I don't know. I, I, I've heard a couple of mixed things about it. I think it's a really fun game uh, so far. It is. It has been pretty interesting, um, and, and I, I think I, I could be entertained with it for a while. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. How long are our friends going to be on it? I don't know. They're such a hard bunch to judge. They could be on it for months, a year, or it could be dropped tomorrow. I'm I'm very curious about this. I want to see where this where this uh, where this lies on the time scale of, of our friends. So because uh, because you know our friends tend to be game jumpers pretty regularly. So we'll see how this goes. So Carlos is talking about two specific friends that we have: uh, <laughs> Scott, who would guest host it on one of the episodes, and and then we have another friend, Matt, who I'd like to have on on an episode also because I think he's got you know he's he's a good talker and he's got some interesting uh, perspective on things. But these two guys. You're absolutely right. You know, they, they, I call Scott the game vampire in that he grabs a game, sucks the life out of it, and then just discards it and moves on with his life. Exactly. So we'll see, we'll see how this, uh, how this stays on. Uh, I'm, I'm in a guild, uh, I'm in the old timers guild on, uh, on Guild Wars, which is good. Um, and, uh, been having fun with it. I think, well, let's, you know what? We should try to get Matt on and, and talk about Guild Wars 2 and the economy and stuff like that. You want to give that a shot? Yeah, I think that would be a good episode because I, I think it's got one of the most interesting and robust, you know, economic realms, much more so than a lot of the other games I've played. A lot of the other games go for just a pretty static auction house, and they've really gone for something a lot more dynamic here. And it really shows, and it's, it's also because of the crafting. The crafting is very involved and, and very. Um, yes very detailed and stuff and what you can do in the discovery process and, and what's needed to craft and stuff. So they put a lot of thought into it and the thought behind the crafting, it, it colors the auction house and makes the auction house a very important area for not only making money, but getting what you need to craft and stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean the, the auction house metagame is part of the game. 
Yes. So yeah, so that's that is that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Um, next time uh, I will. <laughs> as we said last time, next time we'll talk more about Guild Wars 2. So sorry, we actually will next time I think, and uh, I'll I'll talk about the lore a bit uh, because I, I I really like to follow the lore and stuff of these books. Um, there have been two books out about Guild Wars 2 that are that bridge the gap between. Guild Wars 1 and Guild Wars 2. There's Ghost of Ascalon by Jeff Grubb and Matt Forbeck. Jeff Grubb, who I mentioned earlier, uh, was one of the authors of the Midgard campaign setting. And Edge of Destiny by J. Robert King. So uh, we'll talk about that next time to start out probably and uh, see if we can get Matt on and or you know whoever else might be interested in talking about Guild Wars with us. I think that's a good plan. Cool. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. As always, you can find us on Twitter at COTB1. You can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. And please feel free to email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com if you have any comments or questions for us to field. Yeah, and leave comments. Comments are fun. I've actually I, I've noticed that every now and then I'll miss comments when I go back and check on the dashboard. So yeah, please comment wherever you want. You can leave comments on the blog. We'll uh, yeah, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Catch you later. Interface disabled. Goodbye. <laughs>